Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, where our mission is to help you to breathe better and stress less. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics and provide practical suggestions for improving health and well-being. However, none of the education, tips, and tricks provided should be taken as medical advice. Your medical doctor is your best bet if you have medical questions. Also, on this podcast, we interview numerous guests from diverse backgrounds, interests, and may carry some unique ideas. Hanu Health as a company does not endorse all statements provided by guests or condone all suggestions or protocols discussed. We just like hearing about cool people doing rad and new things. So sit back, relax, breathe, and enjoy the show. And we are back. Welcome. This is another episode of the Hanu Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Wiles. I am the host of this show, but also the chief scientific officer and co-founder of Hanu Health. We are a health technology company here to provide you with the best education that we possibly can on stress resiliency, improving overall health outcomes, and helping you to sustain well-being. I'm glad to be back for another one, and I'm I'm always excited when we do Q&As, but especially when we do HRV Q&As, and this is a bit of a special one. And the reason that it is a bit of a special one is because we're going to get into all things Hanu because Hanu now, as of June 28th, is out in the wild. It's not out in the wild to the public just yet, but it's out into the wild for our alpha release or alpha testers. So these are a select group of individuals who are testing out our software, which is very basic at this point in time. Won't be when we release it, but very basic features and functionality, but we're getting a lot of great feedback from them. And throughout this time, we get a lot of questions, or at least I get a lot of questions on the experience and not just the experience from kind of like a software experience perspective, but how do we utilize data? How do we better understand understand our data and what are the expectations of our nervous system in terms of trainings, in terms of data monitoring. And so I thought that since many of you who listen to this podcast have already pre-ordered our device, you'll be getting it not too far in the future, that you'll likely come across similar things, you'll experience similar things, and you'll have the same questions. So why not get on here and answer some of the questions that, yes, have been submitted to me by these alpha testers who want to know, like, what am I experiencing? What am I seeing here? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is this to be expected or not? So we're going to get into that here in just a bit. If you're new to the podcast, if you're new to our YouTube videos, welcome. So glad to have you here. Really excited again to be able to provide this education free to you of no cost. Uh, And it's just something hopefully that you will find helpful and can implement into your life as you go about your day. So before we get into the Q&A, I would like to set it up by talking about one of the special features that we offer in our application. So if you're again new to us, welcome. But also let me explain a little bit about what Hanu is. So Hanu is a global system for you to monitor and then train resiliency to stress. This does so continuously by monitoring things like heart rate variability, heart rate 
respiration rate, and plenty of other key metrics. And when we find that you, or yes, anybody who's using this, goes outside of your normative window because we look at your data over a long period of time, when we find that things are a little bit shaky from a nervous system perspective, we alert you. And you can go in and you can log events, you can do trainings. This is all with the intention to build better fortitude, build better autonomic control, and really help you to focus on resiliency. Because we can build resiliency of the body, but we we also have to build resiliency of the mind. And Hanu is really at the intersection of both of those things. We don't just say that we're a psychological well-being company, but we're a physiological well-being company as well. Uh, indeed, at the root of what we do is physiological, but it has implications and crossover and is interconnected with our psychological and mental emotional well-being. So I'll jump into that here in a minute. But one of the things that we've included within our app is the ability for you to take what's called a snapshot. Now, this is uh, kind of as it is stated in, in how we termed it, a snapshot. It's really the intention behind this is really giving you kind of a, a deeper dive or a glimpse into a short period of time or an open period of time that is by your choosing. So why would you ever want to take a snapshot? Well, and I think I should probably unpack again what a snapshot is. So when we say it is by your choosing, that means that you sit down and you start a timer and you end that timer whenever you want it. And throughout that period of time, we're collecting data. Now, why would that be important? Why would you want to kind of look at a period of time in more depth? few reasons why. And again, it's not limited to these reasons, but these are some reasons why I might use it. Well, the first thing is, is that we know from the research, it's great to have a morning routine or a morning check, especially for recovery. What would that look like practically? It might look like you taking a one to two minutes. You could even go a little bit longer, but really the research doesn't indicate that any longer than around five minutes or so gives you any more specificity of data or granularity into data. It might make the data a little bit more stable, but not necessarily a ton more stable. Really a minute to two minutes will suffice. So if you're short on time, just grab a 60 second morning check. If you've got the device already on, you might as well just sit still and be at rest for a minute. And really this is gonna have implications for recovery. Why is recovery important? Well, if we think from a performance-based standpoint, whether it's athletic performance, if it's cognitive performance, uh, any type of you know, performance could even be psychological performance, focus, uh, which I guess goes into the cognitive domain. It's really important to see kind of how recovered your nervous system is how recovery is then going to provide a proxy for the things that you have done historically or previously. So for instance, if someone is doing a lot of overtraining or if they're overreaching in their exercise regimen, we know that it takes a, a period of time for the nervous system to really truly recover. And if we have these repeated exposures of exercise, of uh, training, these repeated exposures, uh, especially if we're overtraining or overreaching each time, each time have a pounding effect and can manifest in a lower heart rate variability. It could manifest in a higher HRV, can, uh, sorry, in a higher heart rate, and it can manifest in a higher respiratory rate. All of these things com combined demonstrate that there's the potential for taxation on the nervous system. When there's over and over repeated exposure and repeated taxation on the nervous system, then that's going to inhibit overall performance. Obviously, it's inhibiting recovery, which is therefore going to inhibit performance. And you're not going to receive as much gains as you possibly can. Now, that's from a physiological perspective. But we see the same thing 
psychologically and from a cognitive performance perspective that over the course of time, if there's repeated exposure uh, and a repeated taxation, then we are going to see a decline in psychological performance and cognitive performance as well. So a morning check or a morning routine provides you with a good kind of insight or good window into these domains of heart rate variability that are of interest. We want to see, is there an overactivation of the sympathetic nervous system? Is there maybe a withdrawal of the parasympathetic nervous system indicating that there's taxation? And the more and more data that you collect and the more consistent you are, which again, that's a key component here is to be consistent. Take it every morning at the same time under the same conditions, preferably without any exposure to uh, exercise, especially to movement um, and especially to things like substances like caffeine. All of those are extremely important for you to do. So I like the idea of taking a snapshot every morning, being able to look historically over time and see what are the compounding effects. Am I recovering well? Is my nervous system prime for that day? And then you can start to make better informed decisions about what you do that day in terms of do I need to focus a little bit more on recovery? Do I need to dial down my training? Do I need to dial up my training? Again, the intention here is to look at autonomic nervous system recovery and then also allow that to provide practical informed decisions for your everyday routine. The other one that I love a snapshot for is during workout checks. So I can actually start my snapshot at the beginning of a workout, look at heart rate variability, look at heart rate trends, but also use it for a key key component that I do during every single workout. And this is where I think you will find a ton of benefit from Hanu, especially when you're running a snapshot. I want you during the rest of a, so in between sets, during your rest set, we can call it a rest set, I want you to work on down-regulating your nervous system. See if you can lower your heart rate back closer to baseline. See if you can also work on increasing heart rate variability. I love the old adage that if you're not in a working set, then you're recovering and the better and faster you're able to recover, then the more opportunity you have for increasing overall performance and overall outcomes. So for me, I look to see, can I downregulate heart rate? Can I upregulate HRV between sets? How do I do this? Through breath work, just slow the pacing of breathing, just engage in good biomechanics of breathing as well. Change the tidal volume of breathing. Look to see what you can do. And know that the, the reason that you're doing this between each set is because you want to focus on that quick, fast-paced recovery because you know that during the next set, you're going to have to hit it hard and hit it again. So during workout checks, is it's even less of a check for me. It's more of a practice. And you can go back over time and you can look to see, oh man, uh, I was able to reduce heart rate by, you know, 30 beats per minute. I was able to increase heart rate variability, you know, 100, 200, 300% in between sets. These are things that you'll be able to see with a high level of fidelity when utilizing the during workout snapshot. Next one would be post-workout monitoring. So I can look to see that after my workout, how long does it take for me to regulate my nervous system. And then I'm also going to be working on down regulation of autonomic nervous system breath work and biofeedback. So you could do a biofeedback session, right? You could actually do some resonance breathing or some other type of performance level breathing or whatever is most helpful for recovery and stimulating recovery for you. But for me, I'll run this post-workout monitoring just to watch the different fluctuations and really focus and condition the autonomic nervous system to uh, act and can be controlled in the way that will help 
help me to recover faster as soon as I'm done working out. The other one, and this is really made for the health optimizer, the peak performer, the so-called biohacker, is that I love using the Hanu snapshot as a mechanism to test other tech. There are so many claims out there of this product or this technology enhancing autonomic nervous system control and increasing heart rate variability by 15, 20%. And I get a lot of questions about like, does, you know, said product work and have you tested this out or have other people tested it out? Well, now you have the opportunity to do it. You can actually log it in our snapshot that you're using, you know, some other type of biohacking or performance tech, and you can actually watch and see like, is this affecting me in any appreciable way? So you can be kind of that in of one tester. Um, You know, maybe you go publish your own study about (laughs) whatever you're testing, but I think it's a really important tool because if anything, what it helps you to do is kind of uh, see, is this something that's helping me or not? And it doesn't have to be other tech, right? You can test anything you want. I mean, the whole idea behind a snapshot is, yes, take those morning routine uh, type of, of recovery checks. I think that's the most important reason to use snapshot. But I think the other reasons to use snapshot is just to test it out. Like go out there, see, is grounding effective? Me putting you know my feet on the bare ground or in the water is using this tech effective. Any of these things could be helpful. The other one I like to use snapshot for is to test the effects of sauna uh, and the effects of cold plunge. Both of them are extreme, I won't say extreme stressors, but are indeed hormetic stressors. And I love to watch the recovery afterwards. So I'll run it like before, during, and then after. And what we see with sauna is that most of the time, obviously with when I'm in the sauna, I will have this huge spike in heart rate. I'll have this reduction in uh, heart rate variability, significant reduction in heart rate variability. And then afterwards, though, the recovery period, you'll start to see it slowly come back up. And most of the time, it doesn't return to baseline. It returns higher. And there's studies that have indicated that sauna, cold exposure can do this. So it's really interesting to watch the effects. Another one I love to do is I like to stimulate the uh, mammalian dive reflex by putting my face, uh, submerging the the front or the, my face into a cold body of water. This could be a cold bucket of water, a cold plunge pool, whatever it may be. And you'll see this significant decrease in heart rate, a significant jump in heart rate variability and these stimulatory effects um, initially um, that may, uh, I would say stimulatory, but even though I, we received kind of this more parasympathetic response, we see this carry for a period of time. And the more you do it, the more you condition that response. Another one would be like the Valsava, um, Valsava maneuver, which is a breath hold technique um, that uh, basically kind of stimulates like a downward pushing or a downward pressure in the body. That's really helpful for a lot of cardiac patients to uh, uh, resynchronize their heart if they're having any type of or certain types of arrhythmia. This one can be really interesting to help stabilize heart rate and watch heart rate drop and heart rate variability significantly significantly increase. So I like that for, for testing. The next one would be just like open breath work, open meditation, just trying some different types of breath work techniques out that you may not need, let's say a biofeedback pacer, or you may not need some of those other features. You're just like, I'm just going to have it open. I'm going to try a bunch of things in a row and I'm going to label them because you have the opportunity with snapshot to label. So uh, that's, those are kind of the things I like to do. I mean, I'll run a new calm session when I do a snapshot and just watch the different fluctuations of heart rate variability in new calm. So again, I think you'll find 
snapshot to be an incredibly powerful tool for testing. I think you'll find it very interesting, especially if you're the health optimizer, the biohacker, you just find it interesting to watch and test how different things affect autonomic nervous system um, output um, or don't um, because you might find that they don't. So that's, I just wanted to kind of real quickly, even though I've been going for, you know, 15 minutes now, I wanted to real quickly talk about snapshot because I think that it's just a really cool feature that we're adding in. Um, it's coming out to our alpha tester soon. You'll get it as soon as you get our device, you'll have snapshot built in, uh, but it's a valuable tool that you can map over time. You can watch changes and fluctuations and uh, just find that it's a not not just a helpful data tool, but can be a really cool training tool as well. So that's snapshot. All right. It is the portion of the podcast now where we get into Q&A. And again, I said a little one. These are a little bit different. Most of the time we do question and answers that have been submitted by you, the listener. And then I'll answer him here on live on air, especially if I find that they are just, uh, you know, appropriate in terms of breath work or heart rate variability or nervous system control, you know, data metrics and so forth. But today is a little bit different because it's been submitted again by those alpha testers. So these are people who are using Hanu. They're like, I've noticed some things. I've got some questions about some things. Like, can you help clarify? And so I wanted to bring these to you so that we could take a little bit more of a deeper dive into some of these questions. I've already responded to these individuals who have asked these, but if they're listening to the podcast, which hopefully you are, if you're a alpha tester follower, uh, this is going to really help to parse out some of the more nuanced questions um, that have been submitted. So question one, and I'm not going to mention who, who sent these over, but I will say that uh, these are people in the, uh, the, the tight-knit community of Hanu. Question one, I've noticed that during certain biofeedback sessions, my HRV can go down. This is both with resonance breathing and box breathing, but most likely when I, or as it most likely occurs, when I incorporate breath holding, so that's like with box holding or box breathing. What's going on here? So the question is, again, when I do a biofeedback session, I've noticed that sometimes my HRV can go down and what's going on. So first and foremost, let's talk about the differences between the two breathwork techniques that this individual is talking about. Resonance breathing being one, box breathing being the other. Resonance breathing uh, was developed by Dr. Paul Lair. Uh, it was coined, I should say, by Dr. Paul Lair. Uh, it is finding the rate of breathing that best amplifies heart rate variability, um, amplitude of heart rates, so that's peak to trough ratio, so increasing heart rate across the respiratory cycle, and then the synchrony of breath with heart rate. Uh, we call that resonance, so resonating with the cardiac output. Uh, resonance breathing has been around for quite some time right now, but is one of the most effective biofeedback types of breathwork techniques. Uh, box breathing is a little bit different. When we think about box breathing, you can think about how a box is even on all sides. And when we say even, even to each other, not even numbers, but could be even numbers. So that would be something like in terms of breathwork, it would look like a four, uh, a four set cycle. So that would be an inhale, and it's going to be, let's say, of a set time period. We'll do use five seconds, an inhale of five seconds, a hold of five seconds, an exhale of five seconds, and then a hold of five seconds. So you can see with one breath cycle, we have an inhale, exhale, and two different holds, one at the top and one at the bottom. So they're very different from one another, and they have similar types of effects 
but can be quite different. And it's very bio-individual. I'm going to talk about the difference physiologically here in just a second. Let's talk more psychologically because this is something that as a clinician, as someone who's board certified in biofeedback and heart rate variability biofeedback, people's HRV going down is not uncommon. Let me repeat that. When doing biofeedback, no matter the type of practice, there are certain circumstances and conditions and certain personalities, and I'll get into this one here in just a second, where people will see HRV go down. Should you have the expectation that HRV goes up every single session? The, the answer is absolutely not. As someone who, practice, uh, who practices heart rate variability biofeedback daily, for a long period of time and have been and I've been doing it for years among years among years I can certainly say that not every single session is me raising my heart rate variability by 100 plus percent during that session. Are there days like that? Oh, you better believe it. There is. And there will be for you too. As someone who buys Hanu and uses Hanu and and is a part of the system, you will find that there will be days where you're engaging in heart rate variability, biofeedback and resonance breathing or any other type of breathing protocol, and you will see heart rate variability go up exponentially could be 50%. It could be a hundred plus percent at times. You're going to really enhance that autonomic control. But why would we have days where HRV goes down? And is this something bad? Is there something wrong with me? The number one thing that I've come across in all my years of doing advanced biofeedback work with clientele is that we find that the number one distractor of autonomic nervous system control is thyself. And thyself equates most of the time to performance anxiety. Why am I mentioning this? Well, for many of you who are the health optimizers, who are the peak performers, it's likely that you are pretty competitive and you are engaging with this application. You bought this because for you, you want to enhance performance. If you could get 1% extra of a boost and increased performance with Hanu, you're going to do it. I mean, that's the way that the biohackers go. What does that then equate to? It means that you're going to probably try pretty hard a lot of the times. And what we find is that it's a really interesting thing that happens when people do biofeedback is that typically the harder people try and the more focused they are in enhancing change, enhancing resiliency, uh, throwing in their level, their high level of autonomic control is that the worse the outcomes are. This is something that is active and passive all at the same time. And what we see is that when people have a decrease in heart rate variability, when they're trying to, they're trying really hard, when they start to see the numbers go down, what do you think happens? Well, they start trying harder and they get more anxious and they get more revved up and they think, what's wrong with me? Why am I failing? Why is HRV continuing to go down? And do you think that improves HRV? No, not in the slightest. You'll see it drop tremendously. And that actually demonstrates the power of how a psychological stressor and performance anxiety can inhibit overall autonomic control. And it can really cause the vagus nerve to retract. It can cause the parasympathetic nervous system to pull back a bit. Heart rate goes up and HRV goes down. It's this nasty, vicious spinning cycle that we see very often in biofeedback. We see that the more that people put forth effort 
into making change, into changing the mechanics of their breathing, into really focusing on those numbers going upward, that the less we really see there being influence from that individual and the more the stress response starts to turn on. So my first recommendation to individuals who are seeing heart rate variability go down and they're becoming anxious is to not look at the screen is to just follow the pacer. Now you can follow the pacer. We have many different mechanisms and ways for following the pacer through using haptics. We can use sound. There's many different optionality features that are going to be put into Hanu where that if you do not want to watch the screen, you don't want to watch the numbers because they're affecting you. You can just turn it and put it away. Once that happens and that occurs, what we find is that people will typically have a good stabilization of heart rate variability. If they don't, then they might still be in their head. It's not to say that all is a waste when, when this happens to. Just because HRV is going down doesn't mean that you are not experiencing immense physiological effects, positive immense physiological effects from doing breath work or changing the cadence of breathing. There are still plenty of things that are happening within your physiology that are affecting positively change in your physiology, that it's still absolutely worthwhile, even if your numbers aren't moving in the direction that we would predict or that you would hope for. But again, I think the easiest way to do this is to focus on just breathing as something that is happening and that is passive, even though you're changing the cadence, but not focusing on the performance that you're putting into it or what your report card or said report card will be at the end. So that's number one. Number two is that we really talk about this idea of passive volition and mindfulness. So yes, we're engaging in volition uh, in regards to changing the pace or the cadence of our breathing, but mindfulness is a key component here. When all else fails and you feel like your performance anxiety is kicking in and you're becoming stressed because HRV is going down, heart rate's going up, is that if you turn to mindfulness of breathing, which is the sensation of breathing, basically being a passive observer of your breath, then a lot of people find that this is much more calming to the nervous system and therefore the proxy of the nervous system change, which is heart rate variability, will then go in that direction. I do this all the time because I am one of those people that I'm speaking of right now who has performance anxiety who will uh, at a heartbeat, like, I mean, I, I was say at the flip of a switch, uh, heartbeat, yeah, I'm throwing that one. I mean, same thing. At the flip of a switch, I can go, I can get in my head really quickly. And the next thing I know, I'm off and hurry variability is going down. Like I'm not even paying attention to what I'm doing. The easiest way is to just ground myself in mindful breathing, continue the biofeedback portion, but just focus on the breath, focus on the sensation of the inhale, the sensation of the exhale, the feel of the, the breath going deep down and stimulating the vagus nerve. These are all things that I think are highly important to do if you find that following the pacer, watching the data and the numbers is derailing you. There are going to be times where that's going to be super effective and it's going to be very motivating to see your heart rate variability go from 20 to 30 to 40, 50, 60, and, and beyond. It's really exciting. And when you get into that rhythm, you can actually use those numbers going in that direction as a big time motivator for you. But if you're in the opposite, which happens quite often, 
and you don't see it going in the direction that you anticipate or that we would predict, then the same thing happens, but in the reverse direction. You focus on it and it continues to go down, down, down. So my, uh, again, my feedback here is to practice passive volition, practice mindfulness. And if you need to set aside your phone and not look at the numbers and the pacer and the data, do so. Or even if you need to take a break and just come back later, that's really important as well. Uh, the other thing that I, that I wanted to mention and talk about before we wrap question one up is what's going on physiolog physiologically that's different between the types of breathwork practices. Because for some people, they'll find, yeah, when I do resonance breathing, heart rate variability skyrockets. I mean, it goes up and it is consistent. 95 plus percent of the time, HRV is going to go up when I do this practice. And this is, I mean, I, I've heard this from a ton of people, but when I do box breathing, I just see it kind of stabilize. Sometimes it goes up a little bit and sometimes it just goes down. Like, should I be concerned? What's going on here? Let's talk about the physiological differences between these two types of practices. And there's a lot of different types of practices, by the way, that we have in Hanu. I mean, we by the time you get the device, there will be a, a ton of breathwork biofeedback practices. But our main kind of bread and butter is resonance breathing and, and, and doing the resonance frequency assessment. But our other one is a box breathing is a huge one. A lot of people use this for performance, for focus, but also for relaxation. The reason why a lot of people, especially when we introduce um, practices like box breathing, will see heart rate variability go down is due to the effects of breath holds and how breath holds can actually act as a stressor. Well, let's just think about what a breath hold is. So when you are holding your breath, well, it doesn't matter if it's on the inhale or if it's on the exhale. If you're holding your breath, well, yes, we're enhancing oxygen delivery, which sounds kind of funny, but when we pool CO2, CO2 will actually act as the key or unlocks oxygen from hemoglobin to be delivered to tissues. But the problem is, is that when the body and the brain senses that no air is being inhaled, but more so that CO2 is not being exhaled out and is not being expended, well, the brain kicks into high gear because it thinks, oh man, we must be submerged underwater. We might be about to die, about to drown. And so therefore the sympathetic nervous system will kick up into high gear because it's like, well, let's mobilize and engage and hold on to the energy conservation, to the energy reserves that we need, but expend the energy reserves that's going to help us to survive and fight and get out of this. It's this crazy fluctuation of physiological exertion that occurs that causes a bit of a stress response. So it may be that the slow pace of breathing is enhancing parasympathetic output, but the breath holding of itself, when you get to that part of the box, you know, the, uh, the, the, the top and the bottom of the box breath, that that point in time that we actually experience a bit of stress. But what we know is that during the session, while our physiology may experience these little small bursts, of stressor, that is the breath hold, that the, the end effect of CO2 pooling, the end effect of an increasing our tolerance and, uh, to CO2, which is extremely important. We've done a lot of podcasts about that with Patrick and with other uh, subject matter experts. The end result is that we recover better because we actually better stimulate the vagus nerve. So we know that CO2 tolerance and enhancing CO2 tolerance through breath holding will actually help us to increase vagal sensitivity. So what does this look like in practice? It may look like that during the biofeedback session when someone's doing box breathing or any other type of breath work that uses a breath hold, 
that they might see numbers not go in an upward trending direction that they would hope for or want with like resonance breathing. But, and here's the kicker, here's the golden egg, is at the end when they're in their recovery phase is that we see the body begin to really relax and post biofeedback using these types of breath hold techniques that that's when HRV starts to really go up. That's when we see heart rates start to really go down because we've actually put our body into a position to where we're now in enhanced recovery mode. It's the beauty of utilizing these small micro uh, hormesis or micro stressors in an effect to build us up bigger, faster, stronger. So I really like these techniques because they have such a profound compounding effect on nervous system control though you may see that it looks like it's stressing you out when in terms of data or in terms of biofeedback know that it's all for good it's all to help you on the back end where really biofeedback numbers are extremely important or when you're engaging in more kind of traditional type of biofeedback practices i think the data is always informative and helpful but when you're doing something like resonance breathing, when you're uh, engaging in custom type of breath um, uh, changes of inhalation, exhalation timings, but you're not including a lot of significant breath holds, that's when we really see kind of pre, during, post data being extremely valuable as a cohesive narrative. But the big thing that you want to watch out for in the end yeah, when you're engaging in, in, in more kind of short-term breath holds, but I'll even say longer-term breath holds, is that it's more the recovery that's the important aspect to watch for in terms of data. During, you may not be as concerned but afterwards, really interesting. So hopefully that that answers it. Um, uh, and, and again, I think this is a great question about HRV going down, performance anxiety, and then hypercapnia, the experience of CO2 pooling during some exercises that may not give you the result that you would expect during a biofeedback session. All right, next question, question number two. Why does my HRV fluctuate so much and just fluctuates throughout the day? This is a great question because when you put on Hanu, you're going to see HRV go nuts. Like it's going to go crazy. Now, for the most part, it'll be like in, in, in my terms, it'll be very stable for the most part, but it will look like it's going crazy. I mean, it'll be like 24 and then go up to 30 and then down to 28 and then up to 32 and then maybe down to 26 and it kind of just fluctuate a little bit like that. That's pretty, that's pretty stable. Um, if you were talking about extreme fluctuation, you might be talking about from, it starts at 50 and goes down to 20. Okay. Now we're, it looks like you're experiencing some stress or maybe it goes from, you know, 30 up to 70. Whoa, are you pacing your breathing, doing some biofeedback? Are you engaging in autonomic control? That Those are kind of the expected ones that you would see, but also you expect it just to fluctuate throughout the day, both short-term and long-term. So let's talk first and foremost, longer term. So throughout the day. So first and foremost, throughout the day, you're going to experience significant changes in hormones, significant changes in glucocorticoid secretion, cortisol, and then significant changes in neurotransmitter secretion, especially when you need to expend energy. And I'll talk about that here in just a second. Hormones, glucocorticoids, neurotransmitters. The biggest ones that I like to focus on are changes that we have in norepinephrine and epinephrine. So two of the primary modulators that are secreted from our HPA axis and from our adrenal glands uh, in response to the need for mobilizing energy. We could also refer to that as a sympathetic or stress response. We know that after you have received 
hopefully, especially, you know, with all the things that you biohackers are doing after you've received a really great night's sleep, you actually are going to uh, have the best level of overall nervous system recovery. You should. Your autonomic nervous system, your central nervous system should be well rested. And so you should be at a point in time where you are ready to mobilize all that energy that you have conserved and go throughout your day. Otherwise, you're just going to be really fatigued. Someone with chronic fatigue who's secreting cortisol at high levels all throughout the day, all throughout the night, and have really just expended all of their energy. They've really burnt out their adrenals. They're going to look a little bit different than this. But that, what I mentioned former, is what a quote unquote normal individual or so-called normal individual would experience. So when you wake up in the morning, say you're like me, I'm just going to use mine. I wake up generally 5 a.m. In the morning time, my HRV, when I take a reading, is always going to be at its highest throughout the day. And I'm going to see it trickle down throughout the day. I'm going to explain that here in just a second and explain why you should expect exactly what I experience, especially if you have kind of normal hormonal functioning. The interesting thing about it is that when we talk about glucocorticoids and cortisol predominantly is that cortisol peaks early in the morning. Now, um, really shortly after you are awake, cortisol would peak and you would expect, oh, well, does that mean then if cortisol is peaking at that time, therefore, like, am I going to then experience significant changes in autonomic nervous system functioning? And the answer is no. And the reason being is because cortisol is indeed a quote unquote stress hormone, but it serves a lot of other, um, uh, it serves a lot of other purposes. It's not just to help you get you in and out of stressors. It does a lot of things. Number one, it wakes you up. It is the thing that gets you going in the morning. If you didn't have a high level of secretion of cortisol in the morning, you would not have a lot of energy to get up. Again, someone with chronic fatigue syndrome, someone with, a, with adrenal burnout, they don't experience these high, high, levels of cortisol in the morning compared to the normative population. And so therefore they feel really fatigued. So it's actually a good thing. We need it. But the big thing is, is that the secretion and the stimulation of norepinephrine and epinephrine, adrenaline, uh, which is very much associated with a sympathetic or a stress response is at its lowest. So we typically will see uh, adrenaline and norepinephrine and epinephrine at its lowest. So therefore the nervous system, while there's a lot of secretion of cortisol, cortisol is being utilized in ways that aren't really affecting our overall stress response nearly as much as what adrenaline and noradrenaline would. So therefore we see that heart rate variability is really high comparative to the rest of the day in the morning. Once we start to mobilize and we need to expend energy, we get going, we move throughout our day, we're talking, we're walking, we're exercising, we're engaging in a lot of movement movement that's utilizing a lot of glucose storage. We need, we need noradrenaline. Uh, we need uh, adrenaline to be utilized at that time. That throughout the day, as that compounds, well, now we're starting to see heart rate go up and HRV go down. So with this, with your circadian rhythm, we will see these significant fluctuations. Uh, and significant may not mean that you wake up with a hundred millisecond HRV, and by the time you go to bed, it's ten. It could be now. It could be a sign too that you are really exhausting and taxing your nervous system. But we can watch these trends. So I always like to use this example: a one hundred millisecond. HRV may be fairly comparable in the, in the morning, 100 millisecond and like 6 a.m. in the morning may be fairly comparable to a 70 millisecond HRV when we get to three o'clock in the afternoon. 
you may experience the same level of psychological stress at that time, but HRV is lower because at the in the afternoon because you've gone throughout your day, you've expended a lot of energy, you're utilizing and need to mobilize a lot of energy. So that's why we can't kind of compare. It's like comparing apples and oranges. We know that people are going to have these natural changes in HRV and heart rate and even in respiration rate throughout the day, especially depending on how taxed their nervous system is and how much they're mobilizing and using energy. So what are some of the things? And then I'll kind of just go through a list. We're going to have changes throughout the day in sympathetic activation and parasympathetic withdrawal. That's going to happen throughout the day, all day, um, depending on the context. It's really variable. When you're moving, when you're exercising, you know that you're you're going to mobilize energy. So HRV is going to go down, heart rate's going to go up. When we're exposed to environmental stressors, heat or cold, it's right now in South Carolina, if I go outside, it's around 96 degrees. I know that if I just go sit out there, I'm not going to mobilize energy by moving and exercise. If I just go sit out there and I watch my Hanu, what is my HRV going to do? It's going to go down, 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 down. Heart rate up, 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 up. I'm not even doing anything. I'm just sitting there. But the heat is acting on the body as a stressor. My body is trying, my hypothalamus is trying to regulate temperature. There's a lot of energy that has to be expended by the hypothalamus in the brain in order to regulate body or core temperature because of the environmental temperature. So heart rate variability is going to go down. Does that mean I'm stressed? Actually, yes, technically it does. That's why heart rate variability is going down. Is it psychological stress? No, but we don't need to think about stress as being just psychological. When the the body is taxed with stress over and over and over again, it's going to manifest in this data. So it's one thing to keep in mind. It doesn't have to be psychological, emotional, relational stress that's causing fluctuations. It could be environmental stressors. It could be a lot of different things. That's why when we build it into our app, when we alert you, and I'll talk about that here in just a second, when we alert you with what we call a life event, we want you to tell us. And then we want you to subjectively say, no, uh, like I'm actually good. Like this is a good thing for me. This stressor is actually helping me. I'm sitting out at the beach. It's 90 degrees. My body's heated up and my HRV is super low. Like, do I want to be penalized for that? No. And Hanu won't penalize you for it. Hanu will say, yeah, you're experiencing a stressor. So therefore, technically your nervous system is getting taxed fit purely physiological, but for you subjectively, this is really helpful. It's great. Like you feel mentally relaxed. It's good to always combine the subjective with objective data without context. The objective data could be utterly meaningless. Eh, I won't go as far as to say meaningless, but it will certainly not be as meaningful. The next one would be psychological stressors. If I experience a psychological stressor throughout my day, what will that look like on Hanu? Well, for me, I've had this happen plenty of times where like I've been experienced, something's hit me at work, like I've gotten an email, I've got maybe some bad news or whatever it may be. I've got off kind of a a rough call with someone is that I'll see where my HRV started, where my heart rate started, and I'll see a fast drop or maybe it could even be a slow progressive drop in some of these metrics. Here's an example. Um, I was uh, having a pretty good day as far as stress resiliency goes. My heart rate variability was up in the 70s throughout the day, which is pretty high for me throughout the day. Uh, and it was a really just it was a good day. Got an email of just some really not so great things. Um, I won't go into the details of the email, but it was a, it was a very distressing email. 
And just me reading that email, I was seated, not expending energy, just me reading it. And I had my Hanu. I always had my Hanu like propped up, uh, my phone propped up next to me. So I'm watching data and I'm breathing and I'm engaging in autonomic control all day. I saw um, this email and my heart rate variability went from, I think it was like 72 or 75. I should find the video and, and, and snapshot it and send, send it to you all on Instagram. It went from 70 down to 40 in a matter of 15, 20 seconds really quickly, just down. That was how the stressor affected me psychologically. My mind went somewhere else and cognitively I was gone. It affected my performance, but more than anything, it affected my resiliency to stress. Like stress was really taxing on the body. Adrenaline, um, noradrenaline, uh, glucocorticoids, uh, glucocorticoids, cortisol, hormonal dysfunction was occurring all in that moment. And you could see it play out on the data. So that's how you would see kind of that sympathetic activation, that parasympathetic withdrawal kind of in the moment. So what do you do? Because I think the, the it's great to have this information. It's great to have kind of like this highlighted data, but what do you actually then go and do with this information? Here's the key component is that the biggest takeaway of why Hanu is there is for is to develop better self-awareness and better self-resilience or self-regulation. So every time that you take the opportunity to self-regulate when your body is experiencing a stress or a stress event, your brain will condition that practice with that stimuli. This is operant conditioning psychology or behavioral psychology 101 is that the more and more we provide a response to a stimulus, the more and more we can ingrain that behaviorally, that behavioral uh, technique consciously and unconsciously. And the biggest goal here is to have it become reflexive, to have it become the thing that you turn to almost immediately unconsciously. And you look back in retrospect and you say, look, I got through that event that was pretty distressing in a way that was quick and efficient and got me through it. So where I did not feel the nasty compounding effects and the deleterious effects that stress can have stress is inevitable. It will always happen to you. You will always experience it. Mindset and approach to stress are the most key components and values that you should focus on. How can you reflexively engage in autonomic control? Will you train it? over and over and over again, which is why we always provide the opportunity when we see your data kind of go out of your range to train and to practice. It's why I always put up my phone on, uh, on my dash when I'm driving and I breathe slowly. I don't even, I can use a pacer, but most of the time I don't even use it. I keep it on the home screen and I breathe slowly. Uh, I can, I can just do it by self pacing or I'll use like the relaxator, um, and that you, that you all get if you pre-order the device. And the great thing about it is that for me, I will see those numbers change and I just feel more composed, more relaxed. My mental game is elevated. I feel better from a performance. I just feel friendlier. (laughs) I just feel nicer. Um, And I think it's because, again, I'm exercising control over my nervous system. So that's the, that's, that's what I would recommend as kind of key component. Number one, and it's just take time for yourself throughout the day. And when you see these stark drops, know that it's a part of the day, it's normal. Um, but there's always the opportunity for you. If you have the ability to just pace breathing, 
simple. You can do it anywhere. No one has to know you're doing it. You don't even need the pacer. It's great to have the pacer in the data. You always have the data if you have Hanu on, but it's great just to be able to pace breathing and regulate in that time. So again, why does heart rate variability fluctuate throughout the day? Because you're exposed to trillions of things throughout the day. And there's always opportunity for the nervous system to be affected to both expend energy and to conserve energy. So you will see fluctuations all throughout the day. Some are benign and some are not so benign. It's up for you to really engage in a high level of self-awareness to know what is effective um, and what is not, and then what is affecting you and what is not. So strategies plus awareness. Okay, great question. Last one that we'll get into before we wrap today's podcast up is all about being alerted in life events. And I've already covered a little bit of this, so I won't spend an ample amount of time on here, but I think it's really important for you as someone, especially if you've ordered our system and you're a part of our platform here soon to know kind of what is the reasoning behind why we signify an, an, an alert and then what do you do with it? So the question is, what will signify an alert? So a push alert or push notification and a life event. And I talked about life event uh, here in just a second, but I'll unpack those. So the first thing that we will say uh, in terms of why do we alert you? Let me give you the reasoning. Well, the reasoning is for us to check in with you, and but for you mostly to check in with yourself, uh, because the data don't lie. Um, we again, the reason why we opted um, and went with a, we had a lot of thought. The reason we opted with an ECG is because we know it's going to give you the most high fidelity data under all conditions, um, under mostly all conditions. And so we're going to be able to see the smallest little changes in nervous system functioning because of you wearing this device. What are we looking for? One, are there quick changes, quick and significant changes in heart rate and heart rate variability? What does that actually mean? Well, this goes back to my example of me going from 70 to 40 in a matter of 15, 20 seconds. That is a very fast change. Like if I went from 15 to 40 over the course of like 30 minutes, that's still worthy of a life event, especially if my baseline's around 70. Um, If I had like done a biofeedback session and got up to 70 and then over the course of time, it came back down to like say my baseline of 40, that's not a life event alert. But if it's a quick start change from my baseline, even if I'm not dropping below the shelf of my normative range. And I'll talk about what that means here in a second. But if I see a really quick and fast fluctuation in heart rate, sorry, in heart rate variability, and then a quick upwards increase in heart rate, well, we know that something transient has happened. Something acute has happened. Could it be that someone, you know, came and banged to my door, yelled boo around the corner? It could very well be that. It might be very worthy to look to see uh, and log the sensitivity of your nervous system. Yeah, somebody jumped around the corner and scared me, which I have someone here, if she's listening to this podcast, who's in my office building, who does it all the time. Angie, if you're listening, you know I'm talking about you. Uh, But it's also can be kind of, again, these other transient things that you would experience throughout the day that uh, are stressful. Maybe it's emails. Maybe it's a work meeting. Maybe it's, you know, a call with your mother-in-law, whoever it may be. These things happen. Now, again, is it the short-term effects of these? Or are they going to be negative to the, to the body and the mind? Not necessarily, um, especially if they're one-offs. But what we find with most people is that it happens all throughout the day. It's not once, it's not twice, it's not even five times. It's six, seven, eight, 20, 30 times for some people plus that this happens throughout the day. 
this crazy change and fluctuations in the taxation that occurs in our nervous system is going to cause an immense amount of physiological change. Yes, we look at this proxy that is heart rate variability, which is great because it's very non-invasive, but back to hormonal changes, to changes in glucocorticoid secretion and cortisol, changes in overall neurotransmitter output, uh, dumping of uh, you know, norepinephrine and epinephrine. And these all occur, and when we have these repeated exposures, it's the compounding effect the long-term chronic systemic effects that cause significant impairment and significant deleterious change. So what I will say here is that we want to capture the, the trends. Why do we have these continued quick fluctuations in heart rate and heart rate variability? Man, over time, is it indeed that it looks like it's emails or it's my commute, or it's you know this certain relationship. Go back to the mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law, so I'm not really talking about her. I'm talking about you. Uh, it's, but it's all these things that that we want to log and we want to look and see trends. If they're one-offs, then they're one-offs. Again, no harm, no foul. If you experience some changes in heart rate variability, some changes physiologically because of a stressor, it is what it is. But if it's repeated things that tend to occur, and we see that these repeated things cause longer systemic change. They cause longer term fluctuations in physiological output and physiological change. Well, now we've got a problem. Now it's starting to impair us physiologically. It's starting to impair us psychologically, emotionally, relationally, cognitively. All of these things are going to suffer because of these compounding effects. So that's one reason that will signify a alert or a life event. The next one is if you move away from your baseline. So over the course of a period of time, um, and initially wearing it, we'll find your upper ceiling and your lower shelf. Where's your typical high average? Where's your typical low average? And when you fall below that low average, well, then it means that something's a little bit off from a nervous system perspective. Is it a transient or acute stressor? Maybe. Is it uh, that you just got done exercising? Maybe. It could be a lot of different things, but we're going to have you log that. And I'm going to talk about, again, logging and life events in just a second, but we'll alert you. And basically the alert will come from the, your phone. You'll get a push notification and will say, hey, it looks like something's going on. And, and that's your opportunity to then log a life event and do training. So I'll talk about those two things. First would be a life event. What is a life event? Life events are included as a part of a notification for you to be able to track the things that are affecting nervous system change and therefore your stress response change and your stress resiliency. These can be anything. Email apnea, commutes. Maybe you just got done eating something that's not super great. Another great thing to track, to track on Snapshot is the effects of food. Um, it could be whatever it may be, sauna. It could be anything. It could be a life event. And a life event, because it's causing changes in nervous system numbers and data output, does not inherently have to be negative. It could be a good thing. It could be breath work. It could be meditation. It could be sauna. It could be exercise. All these things could be good, but it, all, it could also be negative. When you receive a life event, you can... Uh, click through a long list and we have it categorically a long list of potential things that may be the reason why your Hanu went off. The next thing you do is that you can subjectively uh, rate it as a slider and you can slide it anywhere from, you know, neutral. The event occurred was very neutral to you. Like you didn't really kind of experience any type of emotional change. It could be you know, slightly stressed all the way up to extremely stressed or stressful. The event, it could be that it was relaxing all the way up to like extreme relaxation. It could be a wide variety of things. It's your opportunity to log it. Over time, you're going to be able to look at your My Data section in Hanu and see what were the things that were indeed affecting your nervous system. 
what were the common trends? What were the common themes that helped you either relax or to help or were not very helpful and were quite deleterious and you know, negative to your overall health and well-being? You'll be able to look and chart these things out. And over time, you can place emphasis on what you want to work on. And you can see what are those common themes? Like, is it the email apnea? You know, is it the commute that's really getting to me? And therefore, when you know that you're coming up to that event or you experience that stimuli, it's the opportunity for you to train something different, to train better autonomic control over that experience so that you can perform better, so that you can be more resilient to the effects of that stressor. Because maybe again, it's something that you cannot control. That stressor is going to impact you negatively, but maybe it's not as negative as what it once was. Again, this is all with the intention to enhance fortitude of nervous system uh, resiliency, enhance the fortitude of your overall output. The next thing is that when you receive a life event, you will always be prompted to now, are you ready to do some training? Are you want to do some resonance breathing? Do you want to do some box breathing? Do you want to do some you know, customized breathing? Like you have the opportunity and ability to do it then and there, which is the one of the best features, I think, because we always want to self-regulate when we find that we are having a difficult time and we need to enhance overall nervous system resiliency. So I hope that helps to explain that. I know I'm getting a little bit long here. We're getting close to the hour mark. But I think these are great questions. These are things that you will experience. And I really welcome uh, kind of these questions, not just from our alpha testers, but when you get your hands on your Hanu, submit these questions because I think that it's so incredibly helpful and valuable for us to be able to provide uh, just kind of some insight and input into what you're seeing. And over time, what you'll find is with our application, we'll get better and better at uh, making it just more and more user-friendly and more and more tailored and more and more practical for you. So again, great questions. Thank you for submitting them. All right, if you have a question for us and you wanna submit it to us, go on over to Instagram at Hanu Health uh, and submit the question there. You can also write to us podcast at hanuhealth.com and we would love to answer all your questions that you have on all things heart rate variability, stress resiliency, breath work, and of course, Hanu, how to use our platform. Last thing I'll mention is that if you're when you're listening to this, um, the pre-order, unfortunately, the pre-order sale is done. So we had a $29 down. We had you know 180 bucks uh, total, which is 40, yeah, 40 percent off. Got you, got you the device in its total. Um, that deal, unfortunately, is gone, but we'll never come back. However. I'm going to sneak something in here because I love you all. You guys are my tribe. You're my fam. And so I want to give you something special. If you're like, man, I've been holding out, but I really wish I you know, wouldn't have. While we are not doing the $29 down thing, I'm going to give you a special coupon code that you can use. Go on over to HanuHealth.com if you want to still pre-order our device. Um, it'll be You'll see the retail price of $299, uh, which is for the first year membership. We send you the hardware for free. But what you will see there is that if you throw in this code POD, P-O-D, 40, POD, P-O-D, that was a good band back in the day, back in the, what was it, late 90s, early 2000s? It was in like middle school or so, maybe early high school, P-O-D, P-O-D. Anyway, POD, P-O-D, 40, POD, 40, it's going to get you 40% off. So you'll take that $299 price down to 180 bucks. That's 40% off. We give you access to the application for 12 months. And then after that, you're grandfathered in. It'll only be $12 a month after the first year. And we'll send you that hardware for free. Come on. It is one heck of a deal for the best stress resiliency hardware software platform that you will experience. Pod40, hanuhealth.com. Get your device. They're coming out soon, folks. And I think you're going to enjoy it. 
Well, everybody, that has been another episode of the Hanu Health Podcast. Again, I'm Dr. Jay Wiles, co-founder and chief scientific officer at Hanu Health. It's always an immense pleasure to be with you all. Uh, cannot wait again for you to get your hands on this thing. I play this is I play with it all day long, like all day long. I'm watching it. I'm a bit of a nerd though. I think all of you know I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to HRV data. I mean, that's kind of why I do what I do and why I love what I do, but uh, I think you're going to love it. All right, everybody take care. Have a great one. Be kind to people and this world's crazy. It's been a bizarre week. So just be kind to people and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening to the Hanu Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast would not happen without listeners and supporters like you. And the best way to support us and the show is to head on over to iTunes and provide us with a five-star review. This helps us reach others and spread the good word of breathing and stress resiliency. If we read your five-star review on air, please reach out to podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and mailing address, and we will send you some sweet Hanu gear. Until next time, breathe better and stress less.